Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Oh, we've got a real special show in store for you today. I'm very excited and thrilled. We've got a wonderful uh, guest in studio with us today. Um, Before I get started with the quotes of the day, I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody who came out to last week's Conscious Business Collective. It was a wonderful meeting, a very interesting uh, balancing of energies and a great way to uh, uh, spend the evening. Uh, We'll be following up, of course, with another uh, meeting this uh, this month uh, on the fourth Thursday of the month. I don't know what date that is right at the moment, but you guys know it's like four weeks from today. So, Thanks for being with me. Let's get started with our quotes from the universe and from Abraham. Let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. First, from Mike Dooley in the universe. It's exactly at times like these, when the going gets tough, rumors are rampant, and people begin begin to resist change, that you know things are about to get really, really good. You always pick the right time, the right place, and the best genes. All eyes are upon you, the universe. (laughs) We love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. Letting us know, like, hey, don't forget. Like, just when times are tough, that means, like, things are just about to shift or change. I had a teacher once who used to say that uh, frustration is an indication of massive change around the corner. And uh, there's a lot of change brewing in a lot of different ways. And I think this is a wonderful and very apropos quote for what we're going to talk about today. So uh, take heart. Uh, Don't worry when things are tough. They're not going to stay that way. One thing you can always count on, things will always change. So not to worry The universe and all those millions of angels are out there with their eyes upon you. Everything is good. Let's see what the quote we have from Abraham. Actually, our quote today from Abraham is an excerpt from his book, The Vortex. Let's see what it says. The essence of my every desire can be fulfilled. If your space-time reality has the wherewithal to inspire a desire within you, it is our absolute promise to you that your space-time reality has the ability to deliver in full manifested form the reality of the desire it has inspired. Any and all desires can be fulfilled unless you are holding yourself out of alignment with your own desire. The feeling of competition or shortage or limitation of resources means you're out of alignment with your own desire. And that's from Abraham and Esther from the book, The Vortex. And so this is a, a kind of one of these promises that Abraham makes over and over and over again. And that is that if you have a desire, if because of the life you're living, whatever the contrast is, whatever is going on, it it brings a desire that bubbles up within you the fact that you have that desire means the universe has the ability to deliver that desire to you and and again it may not do it instantaneously right away but if you have that desire it 
can be delivered to you. And if it is not being delivered to you, the only reason why is because of our own resistance to that very same desire. Now, you may be saying to me, Sam, what are you talking about? It's my desire. I want it. I really want it. How come it's not coming? Well, yes, we have desires and we may want things really badly, but if we feel like we don't deserve to have that great relationship or abundance flowing to us or to be recognized for our gifts, if, if, if inside of us there's some internal resistance, maybe we're afraid to be in the spotlight, maybe we're just afraid of having things work out so well for us that we're afraid we'll lose it, that creates resistance. That energy creates a resisting energy that causes that manifesting of that desire to really slow down and and either take its time getting to you or not get to you at all it's really our work always is to line up with the desire is to line up with that very thing that in our gut we know we want and we can have it abraham says right that the universe says if if you have this desire then you can absolutely have its manifestation, its fulfillment. It's just about releasing the resistance. And if you're not sure what that resistance is, sit down, meditate on it, and and work on it. Oh, thank you on the Facebook live stream for our listeners, Erica, Lay, Itzak. Thank you for the hearts and the thumbs up. Really appreciate that. So. Remember, the essence of every desire can be fulfilled. It's up to us to get into alignment. And the universe, the universe has our back. Never worry about that. So, two wonderful quotes. And as you will see, we will work these quotes into our show today. As I would like to welcome to our show today, my guest, Dr. Rachel Harris, PhD. Um, she's a psychologist and author of the book, Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. And let me hold it up to the Facebook live stream real quick. This is the book. It's a wonderful book. Get it. Um, she was in private practice for 35 years, maybe more by now, uh, working with people interested in psycho-spiritual development. During a decade of working in research, she received a National Institute of Health's New Investigators Award and published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals. She has cons also consulted Fortune 500 companies as well as the United Nations. This woman is no slouch. Now, as a result of her own experience with ayahuasca, Dr. Rachel Harris was inspired to research how this medicine was being used in North America in the largest study of its kind to date. Listening to ayahuasca describes her findings, including miracle cures of depression and addiction, therapeutic breakthroughs, spiritual revelations, and changing and challenging, and even the what we'd call the bad trips. So... Dr. Harris, welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm v really happy that we were able to arrange this to get you in studio while you're uh, passing yes. through New York City. Yes, it, correct. It's <laughs> always great to have you. Now, uh, uh, now, I know your daughter's in the city. Are you originally from this area? Or? 
No. No. Princeton. From Princeton. Oh, yeah. Not that far away. No, we'll not we'll that give far. it to you. Um, so I always like to start off giving my audience uh, talking about just a little bit of your background. So um, you've been a therapist for many, many years. And as our audience know, therapists are very close to our heart because my <laughs> wife is a, is a psychotherapist. Right. And we do EMDR and other forms of uh, CBT and other forms of therapy here in the center. Um, but your work seems to have always had a very spiritual lean to it no yes that's correct is there something that kind of how did that happen yeah like what put you on that initial path because there are lots of therapists out there who aren't necessarily that spiritual though these days it's getting more rare (laughs) well when i graduated from college i went to eslin institute in their residential program and it was the third residential program they they tried to run it was the only one that actually went the full six months oh wow and so that was I considered that graduate school. I mean, trust me, uh, nobody else did. Yeah. <laughs> but um, this was 1968. This was a really wow. long time ago. And um, that, that residential program focused on meditation and body work. Oh, interesting. So that, for me, has always been a foundation. Okay. Then I had to go to graduate school after that. Right. And the theory, I mean, Eslin was experimenting with how to run a residential program. There were right. 11 hand-picked people Mm-hmm. And we spent 40 or 50 hours a week together, and we worked with the top people at that time. Oh, wow. And, um, Any names that people would recognize today? I don't even want to go into okay. it. Okay. All <laughs> right. Was, no worries. It, it was everybody who was anybody in 1968. Hmm. And um, uh, so that, for me, was a foundation. But after that, and I stayed at Eslin, of course, for a couple of years working. Mm-hmm. But after that, I had to go to graduate school. Right. And so with that foundation... I switched to research in graduate school because uh. it seemed a safer bet. <laughs> the graduate schools had not caught up to the level of um, sure. psychotherapy that Eslin was experimenting with. I bet. And I bet. so uh, I was better off on a research track. And that's how I spent a decade in a research office uh. and, and did all that work. Okay. And, yeah. and so I guess you started meditating at that time. And before. And, oh, even before yeah. that. Wow. I'd been searching. I'd had okay. experience as a child and growing up. And so I'd already been on a path. That's how I ended up at Esalen oh, at age 21. Okay. I had really been searching. So, so your roots go like really into childhood. Yeah. And anything you'd yeah. care to share or not? We can move on. Well, you know, I think, you know, it's Charlie Tart, you know, the psychologist who's done a lot of parapsychological work. Uh-huh. He has... Um, a, a website where he's been asking scientists for their childhood um, peak experiences. Oh. And many, many scientists have peak. I mean, many people have peak experiences, sure. and especially from childhood. Okay. But I sort of pursued the, those experiences. I found them very meaningful and mm. wanted to know more about them. Oh, okay, great, great. Okay, so so let's, let's move on and we'll just start to touch upon... Uh, our main topic today, which is your book, Listening to Ayahuasca. Um, how did you come to to decide to focus on this particular plant medicine, as it's known? Um, and, and, and why did you decide to do all this research around it? Yeah, I can't claim... Uh, any of those decisions. So I can, <laughs> I can explain how it evolved. Okay. But you'll see pretty soon I was not exactly in charge of anything. Okay. And uh, so what happened is once my daughter was finished her graduate school and I was feeling quite free, mm-hmm. I was living in Princeton, New Jersey, and I was okay. searching um, 
this is not part of a spiritual search. I was looking right. for a beach vacation. It was February. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, this makes perfect sense. Funny how those things work. Yeah. So, um, so I had set up a, a vacation at a retreat center that I thought sounded very exotic in mm-hmm. Costa Rica between Ooh. the uh, rainforest and the Pacific Ocean. And ah, two days okay. before I was scheduled to leave, I got a, a phone call from the person who was arranging it. Uh-huh. And she said, well, do you want to participate in the ceremonies? And I brilliantly said, what ceremonies? <laughs> I, missed, I missed all the key words in the descriptions. I didn't get Oh, wait them. a minute. So you booked this vacation. I booked it. You, I had you, no idea. Two days before you're going down to Costa Rica. And then they call you up and say, oh, are you participating in the ceremonies? Right. And it this was I have no clue. right over your head. No you clue even... what they're talking about. Ah. Um, so I, meet, you know, I said, let me call you back. And I had... Uh, Ralph Metzner's book on ayahuasca, ah, okay. the first edition of it. So this is way Ooh. back. And, um, you know, I read through all the personal uh, reports, all mm-hmm. the first person reports, and I was just ready. Mm-hmm. I had okay. had psychedelic experiences in the 60s. Okay. And then I was a householder raising a daughter, and mm-hmm. now I was fairly free i was ready yeah interesting interesting so it's a kind of funny how like you didn't even realize what you were putting yourself in the middle of no so i did no screening whatsoever which is not you know i really say to audiences don't do as i do (laughs) do as i say i just i didn't know right right okay great great all right so wonderful laying the foundation we're going to take our first break and when we come back um let's talk about then like what the what happened at Costa Rica and, and, you know, how this whole thing evolved. All right. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Dr. Rachel Harris, author of the book, Listening to Ayahuasca. And we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour to Dr. Rachel Harris, author of the book Listening to Ayahuasca. So when we left off, you're down, you're, you're, you're leaving for Costa Rica. We haven't even gotten down to Costa Rica yet. And you find out, oh, there's going to be some ceremonial work done in Costa Rica using ayahuasca. Was it only ayahuasca? Did they use any other plant medicines down there? We did drink some preparatory um, purging. 
Oh, some like like some, like tobacco elixir. No, it was not tobacco elixir. I don't. I have no idea what it was. I mean, this is often the case. We don't uh, know what we're given. Yeah, they were uh, shamans from Ecuador. Oh, from Ecuador. And we did okay. flower baths or flower showers, really. Mm-hmm. And we did drink something before, but I don't really know even what it was. And who knows what's in an ayahuasca mix? You're handed right. a right. muddy, yeah, muddy tea, <laughs> something, and. You know, down it goes. So, 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 what was your? I mean, just briefly. I don't want to yeah, uh, no. look on, but I would. Love, I'm curious, like your first experience with ayahuasca. What was that like? Well, ayahuasca took me back to my father's death. Oh. So you can just imagine how meaningful this was. Yeah. And I had had an experience of a, a, a sh- what's called a shared death experience, where at mm-hmm. the time of his actual dying, I went part way with him, oh. and um, I got scared, uh-huh, and that. I brought myself back into uh-huh. my body, into the room. Uh-huh. And so I asked to go back to that and mm-hmm. and make a conscious decision, since you're the mm-hmm. conscious consultant, to make a conscious decision to go through with the whole experience. And so okay. that's what, uh, I really feel that's what ayahuasca gave me, that first ceremony. And see. so that was really important for me, both psycho- at a psychological level in terms of my relationship with my father and mm-hmm. another chance to have a final goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then spiritually, because I emerged into the, the grand cosmos, into, <laughs> the, into the universe. <laughs> so there were both levels happening. And the very next morning, I was full of questions. Mm-hmm. And even with a translator there, these are Western psychotherapy yes. questions. Shaman from Ecuador couldn't <laughs> care less no about clue. these stupid right. questions from a woman, no less. Ah. So I knew, you know, I was on my own with these and, and that I wanted to continue. Oh, I mean, okay. what I, when I arrived back in the States, I, I called everyone, right? right? And I said, I found the fountain of youth. I mean, what mm, better advertisement for right. people my age? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was... Um, that really inspired me. And after a couple of other opportunities, I actually heard a voice, a real auditory voice. I mean, as clear as I hear your voice in this really? room. Uh-huh. And the voice said, do the research. Oh. And that's what started this whole thing. And was this voice a male voice or a female voice? Oh, no, it was clearly a female voice. I uh, mean, this is a voice that people call Grandmother Ayahuasca. Yeah. The question is, you know, what really is this voice? And right. You know, people say, well, it's uh, it's one of your inner voices. It's it's something you're projecting. And, you know, I it this that I that I heard a voice Mm -hmm. has driven me slightly crazy for (laughs) about a a decade. Um, But, you know, I asked one of the ways I handled this was um, I asked two quite famous religion professors who I'm Mm -hmm. close with. And it was Bob Foreman on the East Coast, mm-hmm. and he's uh, an expert on mysticism. Right. And I asked him, and his answer was very clear, we don't know. Uh, then on the West Coast, I was having breakfast with Houston Smith and another religion professor, and I mm-hmm. asked him, and the answer was exactly the same, mm-hmm. we don't know. And I know they did not coordinate. <laughs> this was a year later. But that, because they're such experts, they, th- their response kind of gave me permission to admit I don't know, and to hang right. out in that mystery. 
Right, right. Now, you had a, a background in doing research, but this kind of research that you ended up going on, it's kind of different than sort of traditional... Oh, I had no controls. I mean, it was underground uh, research. I had no way to control anything. Now, now, you made a very specific choice to study people who've experienced the medicine here in the United States or in right. North America. Right. Why that? Well, here's my professional answer. My professional okay. answer is I was... I was interested in how Westerners were using this medicine. Okay. And I didn't I wasn't focusing on the experiences. Right. There's a, there's actually good research about that in a lot of first person reports. Right. I as a therapist I was asking research questions. How do you change? What's what's different about you? How right, is your life right. different? But the real honest truth mm. is I did not want to schlep around South America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm really not very, you know, sturdy yeah, or brave. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I was in Costa Rica, they there was a poisonous snake that crossed over, right. you know, this grassy <laughs> area that we were all walking everything. across. Yeah. And um, they put the head of the snake on a stick and said, well, this will keep other poisonous snakes mm. away. Uh. And that did not encourage me. <laughs> <laughs> so I focused on North America. Now you have both right. sides it's of the a answer. A little safer. <laughs> the, 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 the professional and the real answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, did you find it difficult finding at the time? I mean, this wasn't... Uh, when did you start the research? The research was done around 2007 or 8 to 2011. Right. And, it was and, published in 2012. In 2012, right. So, it was. I mean... Uh, I've been aware of ayahuasca for before even I started doing my own medicine work the last three years, about three or four years, about seven years ago, so about 2010. So this was even a little bit before then, and this was yeah. before sort of the popularity that it, that exists it today around quiet. it. It was it relatively was quiet. Quieter. So how did you find? So, and you created this whole like um, forum for people. This huge. <laughs> this is what researchers do. do yes, right? the answers, you know, yes. This huge thing for me. How but did you? you Know, but people. you know how I created it is yeah. um, I interviewed uh, Western shaman who oh. were trained by indigenous shaman. I got the okay. highest level people I could get. Okay. And I basically said, what should I ask them? And one of the women shaman, very sensitive, mm -hmm. said, make sure you ask about their relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca. Uh. And that was... I would never have asked that myself. I didn't uh, know enough to ask it. Right. And that one research question was really a revelation. Okay. And, and this research, I mean, really, you started doing this research because you heard grandmother tell you. She to said, do the research. I didn't even question it. Right. I just thought, you know, this is, this is my, I mean, I have to laugh at myself. Uh -huh. This is my own ego inflation, which is something we all have to be careful of. Right. But um, I thought, oh, I'm a great choice for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have the research background. I know how to do it. I involved an old research mentor who's extremely prestigious. Oh, okay. And he was great help. Okay. And we really did it together. And, um, and I had the therapeutic experience to, to right. know what kind of therapy questions to ask. It, but people wanted to talk about mm -hmm. what happened to them afterwards. Oh, really? The research questionnaire was 16 pages long oh, 16 and included a, an enormous number of essay questions. Ah. It took hours to complete. And people, even after completing the 16 pages, they would write me personal letters. Oh, people really? wanted to share wow. and they wanted to support research into this medicine that had been so helpful to them. Wow, wow. So you found that there was a real passion among the people yes, that's exactly who right. actually experienced it and they, and they wanted 
this kind of information to come out. Yes. Now, that raises the question, and people have asked this, maybe you only um, found people who were, and this is a problem with this kind of rolling admissions mm-hmm. into a research project, right. project, maybe you only found people who had good experiences. Right. So it's skewed positive. So uh, somewhere in there, I began looking, actively looking and asking mm-hmm. you know, my networks. I had good right. networks all around. Okay. Asking my networks for bad experiences. And, okay. and I interviewed a lot of the people with bad experiences. Right. And we would go through really difficult, challenging, miserable stories. Right. And then they would say, but I learned so much, it was so mm. helpful for me, I would do it again. Yeah. Now, that's not exactly a bad trip that's damaging. Or, right. You know, there right. are stories of bad trips where people are anxious for months afterwards. Yeah, or yeah, those. yeah, yeah. I had very few of those. Right, right. But even those that you had, I believe you said in your research, people still gain something from it so and i i go into my bad trip oh. i think I, I think the section is called my good bad trip or yeah. something like that because it was so helpful and, yeah. and this level of bad trip is by definition you know spending five hours with our neurosis right, <laughs> you know just right. mired in our neurotic patterns yeah, and yeah. um you know, you can get a lot of <laughs> Val- help so there's out value. Of that. So <laughs> there's so value. even though it was unpleasant, oh, like please. let's not call it, it. It's not to say a bad trip. It was unpleasant. It was uncomfortable. Yes, but there was there was still therapeutic value. Yes, there was great. And in some value. ways, more therapeutic value than when the it's not hard, the unpleasant. It's hard. You know, I can't, I can't prioritize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, they were. True. Yeah, and people generally found these really challenging experiences to be therapeutic. Yeah, I mean, I personally know people who have done you know very ceremonial work and and the, the what i've observed of them just myself is that usually the most growth happened after a very unpleasant ceremony yes the time after the ceremony i call it the golden days and weeks mm-hmm. the time after the ceremony is such a therapeutic opportunity yeah and yeah. especially with a difficult challenging experience of right. your own personal neuroses i mean those Days afterward are so valuable. Yeah, and I, and I'm not really just talking about integration. A lot of people are talking about integration where you yes. rest and do yoga and continue the diet and and uh, maybe journal and those kinds of things. I, I'm a therapist. I'm talking right. about therapy. Right. So you really your research has a very particular uh, uh, slant, shall we say, towards what if any was the therapeutic value that exactly. people got out of it. Exactly. So did you find that there was a lot of therapeutic value? Yeah, there was kind of a pattern, and other, okay. other research studies are beginning to replicate it. Okay. And, and the pattern of, um, of after effects, basically, mm-hmm. uh, or benefits, mm-hmm. is people um, felt uh, their sense of themselves improved. Mm-hmm. They were more accepting, more self-compassionate, mm-hmm. Um, their relationships with their family members, their important relationships, they were more I- invested in them. They valued them more. Right. They they wanted more. The word that often came up was, I want more authentic relationships. Ah. People also reported uh, weeding out toxic relationships. Getting oh. it. Yeah, it was okay. interesting. Um, uh, so they felt better about themselves. They were less. They suffered with less depression and anxiety. Okay. And so you can see how they'd become more available. Right. Um, their health behaviors spontaneously improved. This is not ah. something psychologists are very good at yes. um, changing. <laughs> so this was sort of shocking. People ate better. They exercised right. more. Uh, 
many people, I mean, a number who I interviewed and followed up for five to seven years looked like they were becoming alcoholics. They stopped. I mean, they would wake up the next morning and say, alcohol is toxic. I'm not touching it. Really? Yeah, and they wow. would stop, and I followed them, and they stopped. Right, right. Um, and then there was a, a huge philosophical shift where they felt mm-hmm. their relationship to nature, to the universe, mm. took, I mean, it was a real sense of um, spiritual relationship that shifted. Uh, so so it, it not only kind of opened people up to um, sort of the... the the less physical side of life, shall we call it, an energetic side of life. Right. But they opened up to being uh, more self-care, more self-compassion, to being truer to themselves and, and yes. wanting to be more authentic to, uh, to themselves and with other people. Yes, exactly. Which is a goal that therapists have and can spend years with These are all clients. therapeutic goals, yeah. absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some of the findings that, that uh, Dr. Harris found um, right after this break. So everybody, please stay with us. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. If you have an interest in marijuana, you want to know about marijuana, law, policy, and culture, then feel free to join me, Joseph A. Bondi, every Friday at 11 o'clock in the morning on my show, In the Know 420 on TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour with Dr. Rachel Harris, author of the book, Listening to Ayahuasca, now available. Um, uh, Before we go on into some of the the more findings, um, while you were doing this research, did you find among your peer community that there was uh, a lot of resistance? Uh, Did people scoff at this and say, oh, there's just a bunch of people doing drugs or whatever? Or, or, or did you find like people like your colleagues were like, hmm, that's could be an interesting I was rather quiet about the whole thing. Okay. So not too (laughs) many people. But I can tell you, you know, my co-author for the study, Mm -hmm. as I said, um, is a a, a nationally recognized psychologist and he was incredibly open. I mean, when we got, uh, at, at one point, 
not under the influence, not in a mm-hmm. ceremony, not even around a ceremony. I mm-hmm. again heard the voice, and the voice gave me, uh, in one sentence, a new way to look at the data analysis. Mm-hmm. So I called my prestigious co-author, mm-hmm. and I said, Grandmother Ayahuasca says we should interpret the findings this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was silence on the other end of the phone. He said, okay, let me look at that. <laughs> and uh. so when we finally completed the study, you know, I said to him, you know, there should be a third author here, mm. but we did not include her. <laughs> but there was this, and with the book too, I felt um, there were coincidences that happened. I felt I had help all along the way. Oh, really? And the book goes into a much broader look at um, what it means to to work with this medicine and what it mm. means personally and therapeutically and I have a lot of quotes from people and what happens afterwards. And right. and the really amazing finding from the study that then persists in all the interviews I've done mm-hmm. is that 75% of the people reported an ongoing relationship with the spirit of ayahuasca. Oh, really? So 75%? Wow. Now, they didn't all hear an auditory communication. Right. But they felt they could communicate with her in meditation and dreams. Mm. They had different, or in just intuitively. So there was this sense of having a therapeutic presence. Mm. And this is part of what makes this particular medicine uh, unique, is this quality of a personal relationship with the mm. plant teacher that's part of the right. whole experience. Right, right. So so what were some of the findings in, in going through? I mean, how many, well, first of all, how many um, uh, respondents or how many people did you interview? Or? Well, 81 people completed the research questionnaire, questionnaire. and then okay. I've interviewed another 50. Oh, and, wow. okay. you know, a dozen or so I followed up for many, many years. Okay. And uh, these were, asten- <coughs> excuse me, ostensibly research interviews but they morphed into psychotherapy very quickly Uh, (laughs) and i can give you an example of that there was young one one young one young woman who came and talked about her experience of the divine feminine and Mm -hmm. archetype and how this was wonderful for her and gave Mm -hmm. her a a a vision of becoming a woman she was in her mid late 20s and and i you know she went on for a good 10 15 minutes Mm -hmm. about this And then I couldn't control myself any longer. And I said, and tell me about your relationship with your mother. (laughs) And she burst into tears. So there are always levels of of work being done. And if we only do the archetypal level, Mm -hmm. then we're missing the psychological opportunity. And she had real work to do with him. I mean, you know, if you ask someone about their mother, we don't all burst into tears immediately. So there was work to be done. Right, and right. I I never want to skip that basic family of origin work. Right, yeah, I mean because those are the foundational relationships it's the that foundation. shape us. Right. Um, so, uh, did you find that the respondents that had people usually did they just do go to one ceremony? Did they they been to several ceremonies? The criteria was, a, was that they had been at least to one ceremony in North yeah. America. So some people were members of. Uh, one of the uh, syncretic churches. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so they would have, they reported they'd been to 200 <laughs> ceremonies. Wow. But, th- you know, the churches meet every two weeks. And these yeah. are, um, these churches have, they're from Brazil. Mm-hmm. And there's one in New Mexico and two connected in Oregon. And they have the mm-hmm. legal right to right. use this, um, this indigenous tea as a sacrament. So right. it's purely as part of the religious ceremony, it's a sacrament. Right, right. And, and and was that 
uh, common with the people that um, experienced the ceremony? The ceremony was always a very sacred um, space for people. I was surprised how, yes, that pretty much everybody was in a a ritualized setting. Right. Uh, Now, you know, this is now, the data was collected five, seven seven years ago. Yeah. We don't know how it's changing. Yeah. And um, this medicine is meant to be used in a ritual setting with a shaman present. Right. And um, the kind of energetic healing that goes on, the shaman sort of orchestrates. Right. Now, uh, did and, you... F- and I want to add, and provide safety for right. the participants. That's really uh, and important. And I actually wanted to ask about that. Um, did you find any um, issues with the shaman that people worked with? Or is there any... Uh, un, 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 uh, You're talking about rape. Let's just be okay. really clear about it. Yeah, <laughs> but not just they, rape, but but there can be rape, other way, other manipulations yeah, too. Right. Um, uh, because m- most of the people were responding about their North American experience. I didn't, mm-hmm. but I did interview a few people who'd had bad experience in South America. Uh, okay. And um, and uh, one woman in particular was has been talking and lecturing and writing about. Right. Um, really being targeted by a shaman. Uh, he mixed uh, in Datura into the ayahuasca, and she was um, not quite totally conscious for a few weeks. And, uh, and it was part of his being, It was all, he used Datura like a rape drug. Uh, okay. And she was at his mercy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I wanted to be very blunt about this and mm-hmm. say, yes, there are real issues of manipulations around, the, you know, the, the usual story of sex and money. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, wherever there's power, there's opportunity for These corruption. are old stories mixed in with spiritual experiences. Right, right. Uh, how did you find most people, like, found the ceremonies? Because it is an underground thing. You know, I didn't ask that. Oh, you never asked I mean, that. there, oh, there are a couple okay. of things I didn't ask. I didn't ask if people stopped, you know, what, if they stopped smoking cigarettes. Oh, and I'm sorry I didn't ask that, because yeah. there's, you know, there's findings at Hopkins that people who have... Um, a complete mystical experience with psilocybin are able to quit cigarettes, cigarettes, which is really hard to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know they're doing a lot of research now at NYU with psilocybin as well for the therapeutic benefits. Right. Um, As you were um, compiling the research and and looking at stuff, what kind of, were there any surprises along the way, things that you didn't expect? Well, the biggest surprise was the ongoing relationship with Grandmother Ayahuasca. That was really the biggest surprise. And the book only really talks about the research in the first couple of chapters. Most of the book is a real exploration of how ayahuasca is being used. And, Mm -hmm. And I had to do a chapter on mediumship. Oh. Um, because this is it's, it wasn't a surprise, but it was difficult for me to yeah. write about it in a way that made sense to uh-huh. me. But um, many people are reporting uh, working with spirits, and yes. of course, y- you know, even asking the question, "Are they real?" is not mm-hmm. quite the right question. Right. It's really saying, "What's happening here? How is this working? Mm. And is it therapeutic for you?" I'm part of the assumption is that it's therapeutic for the spirit. I didn't know how to do research in that area. So, but I explore that. I know people who can so. do research in that area. Oh, good. <laughs> because somebody should be. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also, there's a chapter on, on what's happening in the brain hmm. that um, allows for the, the therapeutic changes that happen. And some of the findings are, is that the, the, 
our, the architecture of our brain, I mean, the way mm. the neurons are connected and how we structure our personality, that all softens and oh. begins to change. And there are new connections, new neurological, I mean, it's literal, neurological connections can be made. And so that opens up the opportunity to make conscious choices. I mean, we're all wired from early childhood. Right, but right. as an adult, we can look at our experiences differently and make different decisions about how we want to be in our lives. Right, right. Our, our past doesn't necessarily have to shape our future, even though it may influence it. Doesn't have to. Right. Um, were there any like really remarkable breakthroughs that you learned about that well, that you know, these are inexplicable. I mean, yeah. some people did report a lifelong depression has lifted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an- another person reported uh, she'd been on antidepressants from the, for 20 years, the age of eight, 18 to 38, wow. and had done numerous ceremonies, but she started microdosing. This is sort of a hot topic uh, these days. Yes. So she would take just a few eyedropper drops under her tongue of ayahuasca mm-hmm. in the morning. So she had no effect from no psychedelic effects whatsoever. Right. She lived her normal life. She did this maybe twice a week and and no more antidepressants. No more antidepressants. Oh, and wow. this is she has a diagnosis of major depression. Wow. This is not a light right. you know, I I need a little help. This was right. lifelong depression. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um and and um uh, did you find that everybody had a strong experience when they went into ceremony? You no, know, I had I I uh after my good experience in Costa Rica, I organized a group of my nearest and dearest friends to return. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they were all experienced in, mm-hmm. in many different spiritual disciplines. Okay. And um, one couple sat through two ceremonies, bored to tears, nothing mm. at all happened. Uh, and they drank twice as much as I drank. Wow. And nothing happened. Uh-huh. Absolutely nothing. And I saw this uh, about a year ago in a circle where mm. an experienced woman again took an extra cup you know Mm -hmm. you can ask for a second cup Mm -hmm. and absolutely nothing happened it's it's a long night to sit there you know with nothing going on it's the first time that ever happened to her and then she reported driving home all of a sudden she burst into tears and and had sort of a therapeutic conversation with a sibling she'd been having trouble with she had to pull off the road cried talked uh-huh. to the sibling in her you know in the car in her, right, imagination. Right, in her imagination and it changed her relationship with that sibling uh, so uh, even though nothing happened in ceremony, ceremony look at what happened after it was so right. valuable for her right. and how do we explain this right we have no way so we just don't want it to be clear that you know it it's not everybody has these mind-blowing, amazing experiences, but that doesn't mean that there's not some therapeutic benefit that happens after the ceremony. Right, but, you know, I also want to talk about the downside. I was just sure. at the MAPS conference, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, researchers um, from, I think, Brazil reported on, I think he had five cases of psychotic breaks as a result of an uh, ayahuasca experience. And, you know, I remember talking with... Uh, a Western shaman who'd been mm-hmm. in a mentorship for a few decades. Mm. And she reported at the retreat center in Peru, someone had a psychotic break. And I excitedly asked, well, how did the shaman treat it? Mm-hmm. She said, oh, we shipped him out. We sent oh. him back to the city to a hospital. So there's no, you know, no magic yeah. for everything. 
Right. And I, you know, that I had that was a naive question on my part and assumption. Right. So we have right. to be realistic. There are risks. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and going back to how you mentioned before about the idea of screening, that it is important to maybe ask some questions. Oh, absolutely. Before a ceremony to see. Right. Is Make sure the reputation is sterling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Believe it or not, I think this is our last break of the okay. show. Everything <laughs> goes by so fast. And we have such interesting guests. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour to Dr. Rachel Harris, author of the book, Listening to Ayahuasca. I wanted to ask you, because the subtitle for your book is New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. Why did you put all that in there? Well, that sort of covers the waterfront, doesn't Uh, it? (laughs) Yeah, it does. I mean, that's pretty much like, I know it's everything like our therapist uh, deals with here in our center. Right. Those are the most common things. I um, because that's what people are suffering with. And, mm-hmm. you know, even as miraculous as the SSRIs, the antidepressants have mm-hmm. been in the last couple of decades, they're still... 30 to 50% who are not helped by them. Right, and right. They, and they're very toxic for the body, most SSRIs. People don't really like the side effects. Yeah. They're real side effects. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the so there's even, you know, I, I almost started to say the side effects of ayahuasca. Of course, there's purging during the ceremony. Right. But that's not really a side effect. There's no, no lasting right. side effect. People generally feel better yeah, uh, the couple of days after. And as you so, mentioned before, then they take better care of themselves. And it's actually a much safer. If if we had ways to con, to control and regulate the the ceremonies, that would be a safer right, medicine. Right, right. Yeah, and I can say something about PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yes, People please. often report um, reliving childhood traumas or pieces right. of childhood history. And they report it in two ways. Sometimes they're actually reliving it. So they're three right. years old. They're in the middle of it. And that can be quite traumatic. Right. And, you know, we don't want people to get caught in that reliving again and again. And I have right. heard of cases of that. Yeah. And when that happens, that's almost re-traumatizing. And that person really needs intervention right. to get more distance. Other people report like watching a film mm. of uh, 
an experience they had in their childhood at right. maybe three years old too but they know they're an adult right. watching this movie of their childhood so right. that's already a therapeutic distance there right. and enables them to have their adult presence about what happened to them and begin to see it differently right. so now your focus um uh, we mentioned a little before about integration but i mean your focus was really kind of not what happened in the ceremony as much as what happened after the ceremony for people. And I'm really interested in the weeks and months afterwards and what happens when someone is working with this medicine and is also in a therapeutic relationship. Right. So they're in therapy, say, weekly. Mm -hmm. They're in, maybe they go to a ceremony once every couple of months, whatever their preference is. But there's this sense of back and forth between the two experiences. Right. But this assumes that the therapist has this kind of experience where they know how to work on these different levels and differentiate mm-hmm. yeah. a psychological issue from a spiritual experience. Yeah, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate because because my wife does EMDR and had been, she actually, you know, had talked about seeing her own EMDR therapist. Yes. But it wasn't until we started doing ceremonial work that she actually made the effort and, and talked to her supervisor and started working with her. And she would tell me about all these experiences. And sometimes the EMDR session, she said, was almost like a spiritual experience. So then eventually I actually started seeing the same therapist because she's very well known in the New York community in EMDR. Mm-hmm. And, I fa- and it like moved so quickly through it and it really helped to integrate because EMDR is is also not just a talk based right. therapy. It's very body oriented. It's very body oriented, and yes. I found that it really sort of exponentiated the process yes. of the integration and what's happening. So it it is. I mean, I guess this would be something you would agree with to recommend that, like, if you're doing ceremonial work, if you can also be seeing a therapist at the same time, like that's the best of both worlds. I think that's the best of both worlds as long as you have a therapist who can travel in, in all, all that inner right. landscape and territory and right. can differentiate between levels. Right, right. Yes, I think that's the best. Right, and it was well. interesting because even though the therapist we used didn't have any experience with ceremonial work, she had a very spiritual practice yes. and a very spiritual underpinning to herself so she could right. work she's, through the she's stuff. She's traveled <clears throat> in her own inner territory exactly. so she can recognize. Exactly. Yes. So... Um, about the research, I mean, what what do you think are like sort of some of the key things? I mean, not everyone should go out and buy the book, of course, but what are some of the key things that your research revealed that you think is important for people to understand about what can happen after a ceremony? Right. You know, but, all, um, my research and all, and all the research that's going on about psychedelics, psilocybin mostly, mm-hmm. um really opens up the opportunity the the word that's used most often is recalibrate Mm, reset reorganize um there's an opportunity to make different choices about how the person wants to structure themselves in their own life right so there's a real chance to to um make basic changes that make that really change the trajectory of a life right and changes that normally take if ever, you know, in therapy alone, alone uh, therapy alone, right. you know, decades to, and, to make. And I think one of the central ones is, do I feel loved? Hmm. And some of the quotes after an ayahuasca experience is, you know, I can say I feel loved. I can say I love myself. Right. But in the ceremony, I experienced 
being loved at a cosmic mm-hmm. level that yeah. soaked all the way into my bones and my yeah. DNA. And that's a spiritual experience of feeling loved. Right. And that begins to change everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you did, um, although you didn't have a control group per se, you did have a group that you compared some of the stuff to, right? In the initial research, Research, and I don't really talk about that very much Much. in the book, but I did have a comparison group. We don't really know how to do research with ayahuasca yet. We don't know how to control for the medicine. I think MAPS had a project they were developing where they were going to work with shaman, and they were going to use the capsules, the dry, freeze-dried ayahuasca uh, that's being used in Barcelona where they can control the potency and the oh, dosage. Oh, really? I didn't know it's being used in Barcelona. And, yeah, they're doing a lot of research in Barcelona. So they had this all set up with the freeze-dried capsules. The shaman refused uh, to work with it. They said the spirit is missing. Missing, yeah. So this is where we are with the beginning of the research so yeah. you can see how far we have to go. Right, right, right. Um, so the book came out a couple of months ago. One, just about six weeks ago. Six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Initial reactions? What, what have, how have people been <laughs> responding to it? I've been very pleased with yeah. how people are responding to the book. I really, I kind of put my heart and soul into the yeah. book. Everything... Uh, that came out of a lifetime of work, whether yeah. it was my own spiritual work or, or research or psychotherapy mm-hmm. experience. It's really, the book itself is an integration of my career uh-huh. for me. And so you asked me um, offline, you know, <laughs> what's next? And I really don't know what's next. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be called again or right. what would be called for. I don't know. Right. But I kind of rose to do the job I was given. Right. Do, do you have any intention behind this book? I mean, what what do you hope would yes, happen? Yes, I have a book? very clear intention. Ah, I hope okay. it's helpful for people. Ah, and I hope okay. it's helpful for therapists working Good. with people who are Good. working with the medicine. And that it's useful for people considering, should I try this mm-hmm. medicine? Or for people afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I hope it encourages people to um, consider doing going to a therapist afterwards right. to really work with it. With right. all the potential possibilities. Right, right. Um, now, this research you had done, I mean, a couple of years ago, it's been taking a little while to collate and, and analyze and put everything together. Do you see anything over the last couple of years shifting and changing in the landscape, in the medicine landscape? Well, you know, it's an underground medicine yes, landscape. Yeah, and so, you know, the question is, uh, who do you trust to go to to a ceremony? Mm. Right. And is it someone who's had six months experience or, mm, or a few years, years yeah. or, or not even six years? I mean, it really should be decades. Yeah, yeah. And in our culture, we kind of don't have a very good understanding of that, right. that it takes decades to really learn how to work with the medicine mm, and right. the ikaros, which are the songs that people yes, sing. And, yes. You know, so I'm very serious about that. And then on the other hand, Somebody said to me, oh, yes, I've been to five or six ceremonies, and there's a DJ. They recorded music. And I sort of want to tear my hair out. But then he talks about how he's benefited. And he's really experienced important therapeutic benefits. So I was glad I kept my mouth shut. Mm. But in general, I would tend to say, let's, you know, I hope the ceremonies retain their holistic ritual where right. it's the medicine and the and the ikaros the music yeah, yeah. and um that it's a complete ritual right right and it retains its sort of spiritual quality to it because it well, is a spiritual ritual absolutely yeah uh, I, i'm just curious and not whether it's in the book or not but just personally 
have you learned more about sort of the the indigenous culture behind the the ceremonies for yourself personally? Well, you know, the indigenous culture can can also be very dark. Yeah. And you know, some people who uh, maybe are partially trained as shaman mm-hmm. um, become infatuated with power and uh, no. control, and they go off to the dark side. And no. and there are terrible stories from indigenous shaman about uh, attacks between shamans. Yeah, so there's a dark yeah. side to this medicine. Y- you know what I just picked up again recently? I had read these books when I was in high school and it's like I don't, I, I can barely remember anything. So I said, you know what? This is important. I need to read them again. I just it's picked up teachings of don the castanate i knew the castanate books and 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 i'm like reading it now and it's of course i'm getting a very (laughs) different message and it's very interesting to to revisit that body of work right and the power can go either way and of course that's true for all of us right 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 yeah and i'll just uh, i just want to end on a point that uh, for the one thing that i've learned is that there's also a real difference between the metiso um tradition in in south america and tribal and that you know sort of after the conquistadors came in the indians did adapt somewhat of a patriarchal model of of from from the the christianity but really the true indigenous culture is much more tribal and less kind of hierarchical in a way and there is a difference and and i've experienced like there's a difference in those approaches towards ceremony I honestly don't, I can't really speak to that. I'm, I yeah. don't really know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, one, <laughs> one of my little things I've learned. Anyway, okay, good. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to come into studio Thank today, so Dr. Much, Harris. Though. It was wonderful having you here. Let me hold it up for the Facebook live stream one more time. Listening to Ayahuasca by Dr. Rachel Harris. Go out and get the book. It's a wonderful book. Anybody involved with ceremonial work, thinking about getting involved with ceremonial work, um, this is an invaluable resource for so th- thank you, Dr. Harris, and uh, thank you so much. I hope all the best for you. And 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 so for all of our um, listeners, thank you for tuning in today. I, I, I really want to encourage people, if you have not yet signed up for our newsletter, please go to the website, if you've not already, talkradio.nyc, and sign up for our newsletter um, so that you can be aware of the different shows and different topics coming up um, so you can see the amazing offerings that we have. Um, so uh, I, I highly encourage that. Well, it's the end of another show. Thank you all for tuning in and listening. Thank you all for the Facebook live stream listeners. Um, Of course, it'll be available afterwards. And we will have more shows available for you. And we will talk to you next week. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And, and welcome, welcome to, to 21st, 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 